I'm Marius. I'm Maite. I'm Jordan. I'm Justin. I'm Peyton. And, and this, this is Comics First. What is X-Men Red about? I think X-Men Red is about Jean relearning what the importance of being a superhero is. Like why the world needs saving in the first place. Because I think she's kind of at that place where like she's been gone. She's been kind of in this like intergalactic world and she has to like come back down to rea- like reality and humanity and kind of relearn what it means to be a superhero, what it means to be an X-Men. That's what I think. Going off, oh, sorry. <laughs> Going off of that, I think in relation to Jean and, you know, I mean, every character in general too, just learning or the struggle of being empathetic. And we all know empathy is a big theme in the work, especially in the final issue or the last few issues. But I guess trying to be sympathetic and empathetic in a world where it's very easy to give up on humanity and very easy to be apathetic because there's so much hate and so much to be disgusted by. So it's learning how to forgive people and also learning how to continue to see the good in the world. And I think there's that tension between giving up and persevering. I agree a lot with what Maite has been uh, has just said. I think that I would go as far as to say that X-Men Red is a book about um, kind of developing a new positive vision in the age of Trump. I agree with everything everyone has said. The one thing I wanted to add that's a little bit different is that I also think it's about Jean relearning how to be a leader, especially in her environment and how that goes on. I mean, we already talked about how she has to learn what the world is, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more later. But especially after being gone so long and we've seen Cyclops take over the X-Men and we've seen Kitty is now running the X-Men, at least most of the main team. So we have these other people who kind of stepped into the role of what Jean was doing when she died essentially and so now she has to come back into that role but it's changed just in the fact that she's not the only one in charge anymore and she's kind of you know been gone for a while as i've said numerous times already but kind of going off of that you know just learning how to be a leader in the environment that she's placed in and not being able to draw as much upon her experience at least right at the beginning because it's changed so much i wonder how the story of jean gray becoming a leader Jean Grey experiencing her humanity, Jean Grey figuring out how to push the world forward in the age of Trumpism, and a story about empathy all comes together in X-Men in 2018. I don't know how they did that, but I'm literally asking more to describe it, not how you think it came together artistically. I think one brilliant thing that the book managed to achieve is to go one step further with a character that has so many decades of stories about her and that is so iconic already. I think one of the best decisions that Marvel has done in the last few few years actually is to get rid of the Phoenix Force for adult Jean Grey and to sort of ask the question, I think this is what the book has been doing a lot, is to ask the question what is the next step for the character and where where can she go next without sort of this dynamic with the phoenix that i think has been brilliantly sort of concluded in phoenix resurrection so i guess like focusing more on empathetic qualities and how i guess she's almost like an outsider coming in at this point because she has been as others have said has been gone for a while and is now experiencing as this powerful telepath for the first time the specific political climate that we as readers obviously are familiar with and i think it's just brilliant that she would take on the role of like developing i guess this new positive vision for how she would i guess 
get back out of that political climate? Yeah, I mean, going off of that, I feel like, I mean, she's definitely like embracing her humanity for the first time in a long time. If you read X-Men Red, you definitely need to go back and read her last series, which was 2001 Grant Morrison's New X-Men, where she's kind of like the opposite of how she is here. She's really not very human at all. She's so consumed by the Phoenix and that's kind of like her whole life. So with X-Men Red, I think she's in embracing the side of humanity that she's never, at least for a long time, hasn't been able to embrace. I would say comics nerd history. We got X-Factor one Jean back and I, I really enjoyed her. Oh my gosh. Yes, that is so true. That is definitely the era of Jean that right, X-Men Red shows. No Phoenix, just, just, just pure Jean. Yeah. What do you guys think that the fact that her character was gone so long, she had just been resurrected, does the fact that Jean Grey is the, was the star of the story, does it change what you think Tom Taylor was trying to say? What we feel, because I, I hate trying to surmise what the uh, author was trying to say, but, but maybe what he was trying to evoke in us, those kind of feelings. Do you think that the fact that it's Jean Grey evoking them changes anything? I absolutely do. I think that there's few characters that could have embodied sort of what I think Tom Taylor was going for in the same way. Because when you think of like other iconic X-Men leaders and characters who embody ideas like obviously like one of the first things to come to mind would be cyclops but the last time we saw cyclops was his story arc about the mutant revolution i guess and i think the same like i guess like positive vision that gene has been embodying or conceptualizing here wouldn't have been i guess cyclops would have been the wrong character to tell that story with And I'm, I'm pretty glad it's Jean because she's a very iconic character. She has almost like a mystical like quality about her because she's been gone for so long, talked about by, by so many characters. And we as readers, I guess, or at least that's how I was feeling. We have like almost a faint memory of her because she like the last big story arc has been said was your X-Men by Grant Morrison. And she was a very different character back then. I think that having her back... And having her, I guess, like embody these symbolic qualities work pretty well and wouldn't have worked with, yeah, with Cyclops or even with Professor X, I guess. I mean, I don't think any other character could have done it because, I mean, an X-Men Red Jean represents hope. And all the other characters have seen hope, not the character, but the sort of like symbolic idea die in these past few years. So I feel like she's the only one who could really come back and be like, okay, let's give this a fresh new outlook that Kitty and Cyclops, who are kind of the big two in current X-Men comics, couldn't really give right now. Yeah, I totally agree with Peyton. I cannot imagine anyone else kind of leading this series. And I also really like how Tom Taylor shows her transition back into life. I like how she's just not thrust into this world and back in action. You see her kind of trying to swallow everything that's happening in the world. And throughout the whole series, you kind of see her just adjusting to this world that she's been gone from for so long. And I, and I like that. I like seeing those vulnerabilities, uh, all those changes that she's experiencing in this trying to work around. And because of that, I, with that juxtaposed by everything that happens in the series, I agree. I, I can't imagine anyone else who could have, you know, been the face of X-Men Red. Yeah, that's something I liked a lot as well. I did appreciate that this was sort of dealt with in a very mature way where she is kind of like a for some of the, the other characters and sometimes for the readers as well she does seem like a like a larger than life figure kind of embodying as you said hope but at the same time she's very human because her idealism 
almost seems like a character flaw in in some instances of the book i think where it almost seems like she's being too idealistic she's being i don't think there's such a thing as being too empathetic but i guess being too optimistic with how you can like trust other people who have hated i guess but I think even though the book is very short, I guess there's a lot of limitations coming with like only having 11 issues to tell the story. I think that there's a beautiful arc in there about how she sticks to those principles and in the end she succeeds in a way. That was really beautiful, Marius, and really well said if I do say so. I, I, Thank I, you. I really what you were saying, not to break the fourth wall and talk about how good <laughs> our podcast is as we're podcasting. As I asked who what is x-men red can i ask who is jean gray just in case there's one or two people listening who don't know she is who she is but in addition to that can we talk about who she is in her emotional bottom and what she represents and and the metaphor that she is i thought in a really weird way she was more phoenix here in terms of the metaphor of like rebirth than when she was actually phoenix jean is one of the founding members of x-men she's the only girl character in the founding X-Men characters, which straight from the beginning kind of gave her a different perspective than the others. She became the Phoenix and it all went downhill from there. And now it's slowly going back uphill. I don't know. I think died twice. Yeah. I mean, she's died a lot. That's kind of what people think of when they think of her character, but she's actually a lot more than that. I think in the new X-Men series, she had become sort of stale in her Phoenix possession in a way. She was kind of just like borderline, not human. Just sort of living in this like stale bubble. She didn't really know where her life was going. She didn't really seem that passionate, which was strange because that's kind of what the Phoenix is all about. She really only seemed that passionate about like, I don't know, splitting up Emma and Scott. Anyway, but I definitely see where you're going with like in X-Men Red. I mean, she's definitely like kind of going through this transformation. She's she's a naive character. And I think that's what a lot of people don't get. But I mean, as a character, she is naive because how can you die multiple times and still come back every time wanting to save the world. I mean, you've, you've got to be a little naive to like be that kind of person, but that's just who she is. Is that naivete though, or is that determination? Yeah, I guess I feel like it's a little bit of both. I think the fact that we don't even get a single issue where Jean's like, you know, maybe I should just sit down and chill out for a second and like try to figure, th no, she's just like straight back in the game. Like, and I think that is, that's a little bit of like, it's definitely like a, admiral like determination but it's also just like gene like chill out for a second how about you talk to like you know your younger self and kind of like understand this world a little bit so i enjoy the fact that she's a flawed character and i think it makes x-men right a lot more enjoyable is that she's not just like this icon on a pedestal she is a real person and we get that more than we get in a lot of other series that she's been in i enjoyed that well, I too i was just gonna, i think a lot of that determination is derived from fear as well because you see her continuously talk about what she did as the phoenix and all the havoc she caused and i feel as though in this new rebirth she's kind of carrying that responsibility on her shoulders and i think that's why she's not really giving herself a break is because she's afraid of either failing or just watching the world implode once more and i think she's kind of taking it upon herself to continuously maintain faith in the world and continuously try to save it even though there's still going to be hate there's still going to be evil people so of course that's like in line with the naivety but i also think it's very much rooted in her own fears do you think any of it is penance i think so i mean i definitely i definitely get a sense of her guilt in certain moments of the series yeah unlike a lot of characters i mean she doesn't ever try to be like maybe i should just be normal 
you know, she never says that because I think she realizes that her life is so entangled with the things that she's done in her past that there isn't, she can't really go back and just be normal. Like she has to keep pushing harder every time. And I think that the fact that this battles with Cassandra Nova says that too. It's like, well, she was battling her in 2001 and she's still battling her because it's just, it's always going on for her. It won't really stop. I mean, I think we'll see Cassandra Nova again for sure. Hopefully with Jean. Oh, I hope so. That'd be great, right? Yeah. I wonder how thin you would describe the Trump metaphors in X-Men Red. And what I mean by that is, do you find them to be thinly veiled? I mean, yeah. The one that comes to mind, and not even specifically in reference to Trump himself, but the one that comes to mind the most is the one of the newscasters like going at each other and then them telling Jean like she broke the news because we do see not necessarily within like the news people themselves fighting as much although there are some of those but we do see a lot of that rhetoric come from different news channels and i think that kind of was the best of both worlds to kind of show you both sides of it versus like having them switch channels or anything like that but i do think that that was like super blatant at least for me it was super blatant though there's also a clear allusion to the charlottesville marsh with the guys with the tiki torches who are holding up anti-mutant signs i thought that was pretty pretty obvious and then gambit made them all explode that was so awesome yeah (laughs) how much is this a story about fake news and regardless of how you feel politically because some of us are such hardcore republicans here do you feel that the story was successful in making a comment about the way things are in America right now, which I thought was interesting because he wasn't even American. Tom Taylor is Australian. I think the thing that comes to mind for me when you ask that question is this idea of the people's minds being tampered with and them somehow not having as much agency because of that, because they have been turned into into hateful people by whoever few people would benefit from that. And I think this, I guess, like the metaphor for me was like pretty blatant are pretty blatantly about things like the Cambridge Analytica scandal, about things like the fake news controversies. I guess it wasn't 100% successful for me in kind of portraying politics and and ideology and hate in the age of Trump. So I guess I'm not 100% sure if it was absolutely successful as a metaphor in terms of like talking about agency and hatred in this political climate. But we can talk more about that later because I I think that's a whole other can of worms. Absolutely. And well, let's get into that. But I guess what I want to say, and a testament to comics and to Tom Taylor, if I had a chance to talk to him, this is what I would tell him, is that for me, 2016 and 2017, and I guess 2018 ended up being really, 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 really shitty years for me. And a lot of it had to do with what was going on in the world, not necessarily with what was happening to me personally. And I remember being like, man, getting into Taoism, reading a lot of Seneca, you know, trying to look for things to give me insight into what was happening in in the world. And I can't say I'm surprised, but it didn't come from the Tao. It didn't come from Taoism. Taoism, sorry, excuse me. It didn't come from the letters of Seneca the Younger. It came from Jean Grey. And when Jean Grey, and that's why I had us listen to the song before, which is Heal the World by Michael Jackson, because when she said that, something snapped in me. And I was like, finally, someone is pushing this national conversation and possibly this whole conversation that we're having in the West forward. Because I was like, for a while, I was like, okay, now I accept that we're here. How do we fix it? And no one had an answer for me that I liked until 
Jean Grey did in X-Men 1. Although I didn't really know how to articulate that answer or if it will work, but it was still, it was a solution nonetheless. And which was further than I had felt uh, from anyone in the world, anyone in actual politics or anyone watching the news. So I guess before we break the specifics of the script down and the specifics of the art down, let's talk about how it made you guys feel and how it made all of us feel if the messages reached us personally as well as being successful in general. I mean, for me, it spoke to me because Jean was the only one in the X-Men world who was trying to do anything. Like, I don't feel like an X-Men Gold and X-Men Blue, they were just kind of fighting these like really small battles. It was, I mean, it's very like just comic book genre sort of fights. And then in X-Men Red, Jean just comes on the scene and is like, no, we're going to like weaponize the truth. Like, we're just going to get in there. We're going to like push the boundaries. I'm going to fight Cassandra Nova in 11 issues, even though it should really take like 20. I think she just like pushed the boundaries on like what you feel is possible. But I also want to think, I mean, throughout the entire series, she was kind of always being like, no, this is my fight. No, this is my fight. And then in that last issue... It's Gabby who really like does the final blow. And I think that's so important because I feel like so often we're like, well, we have to go into this by ourselves. Like we have, this is our fight. In reality, it's, she's on a team. This is X-Men Red. It's a team. So I think it speaks to the idea that, you know, your friends and the people you partner yourself with as a group, that's who can make a difference. So I thought that was really great because Tom Taylor easily could have made this a Jean Grey solo series. Could have just been Gene versus Cassandra Nova, but for some reason he didn't. I think it was because he wanted to emphasize how important it is to have a sort of strong group around you to fight these huge issues that seem almost too big to t- like tackle. Yeah, that's what this really astonished me about this series, and I reread it today as a whole. And I mean, Tom Taylor, he just managed to not only showcase this team dynamic, but also give Jean an awesome comeback story. Like there was a great balance there between her solo arc and her dynamic with the team and the focus on the different team members. And also the fact that this all happened in 11 issues is just insane to me. I mean, the pacing, I'm sure we'll get into this later, but like the pacing was just, it just felt like this tug of war, like going back and forth between like Cassandra and Jean. And it was awesome and epic. And just the fact that he managed to do that in just 11 issues is just crazy, you know? But I guess it made me fall in love with Jean again, you know? I mean, she hasn't been around. I mean, of course we had team Jean, but you know, this adult Not the same. Exactly, yeah. Like she hasn't been around in like 14 years and, you know, you go back and reread all her old stories and you get nostalgic and just kind of seeing her and you know take on this leadership position and excel and like Peyton said they kept saying in the story weaponize the truth it was just so impactful and it's awesome and it makes you look forward to like what what's going to happen next but I mean it's just astonishing what Taylor did in just 11 issues yeah I agree and you guys know that I am not the biggest X-Men fan surprise surprise I think that gets brought up every single time we talk about anything comics-y not the biggest X-Men fan and kind of going along with that not the biggest Jean Grey fan and I have read Grant Morrison's run so I do know how all of that ends but coming into this I was like okay it's about Jean but there are these side characters so I'll probably like them more and just kind of ignore the parts that have Jean even though that'll probably be like 90% of the comic but by the end of it I changed at least I wouldn't say like Jean's my favorite character now but I would say that I definitely like her now and that's something I think that really Tom did well and I've seen other people on Twitter other 
comic writers, other just fans and stuff saying the same thing. So I do think there's something poignant about this particular rendition of Jean and what she has going on and what Tom Taylor did for her and what the team aspect added for her and all of that. You actually can find Jordan on our next podcast when we discuss Buffy the Vampire Slayer and she'll be ignoring all the parts that Buffy is in. So the entire <laughs> show, that's it. <laughs> I didn't watch any of it. You watched all the scenes without Buffy. I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I, well, I think that's really awesome because I think, I wish Nolan was here because he is, to say he's not a Cyclops and Jean Grey fan is an understatement, but Nolan would gladly say he was wrong about Jean Grey and that he loves her and that he finds her now to be the only successful successor to Xavier. Uh, he made an excellent point, which is that Storm, Cyclops failed, right, in all new X-Men. Storm later took the team in Extraordinary X-Men. That team failed. X-Men Gold failed, although Jordan, I'm, or it was a Peyton, I might argue that there was some, so Peyton, I might argue that there were some political things going on in the beginning that maybe got lost. Uh, X-Men Gold? Time. Yes. Yeah, I, I, in the beginning it was a little political and at the, like the last two issues were a little bit too, and they were interesting, but yeah, Kitty is no successor to Xavier. Just going to put it out there. No, I mean, it's like, do we have, are we going to have gold balls in charge of a team and what are they going to do exactly? Like what's, what's next is my question. (laughs) I Uh, think gold balls should just be getting his solo title. (laughs) I think they should rename Marvel gold balls. No. It's about time. (laughs) It's too far. I went, I took things too far. I Uh, think for uncanny from what i've seen of uncanny i've been writing the reviews for uncanny x-men i think Jean has a rough future ahead of her in the coming year so she's going to be in the like age of x-man series so i think that she's going to like get under like x-man's rule and kind of do his bidding that's my theory right now and wolverine and cyclops are going to be the new leaders of uncanny so we might just be back where we started with them i think i agree with that a lot would you agree if I said that, I think Uncanny X-Men right now is a good example for how a lot of the great characterization that X-Men Red has done for the character of Jean Grey is kind of being undone by, by like some other writers sometimes. Because I think it's Uncanny X-Men 1, and a little spoiler warning, but there's this one scene where she, I think she hesitates to to give an inspirational speech in front of a crowd because she thinks that Kitty should be doing it. I was kind of feeling like the Jean Grey that we saw in X-Men Red would be glad to give that speech and would be glad to inspire hope, I guess. Let's be honest, the Jean Grey and any Jean Grey would be happy to give a speech in front of anyone. I do feel like for Jean, it's kind of like she's arriving at this scene. So when she left, Kitty was just like a kid. You know, and now she's coming back in and Kitty's like the headmistress of the Xavier. Like, it's a big change for her. So she's kind of trying to insert herself into the X-Men world and she's not really sure where she fits in. She understands where she fits in in X-Men Red because she has her own team. But in the larger X-Men world, she's kind of trying to figure out. And we also see an uncanny X-Men where she's fighting with armor about who's kind of making the decisions. And I feel like she's kind of wavering. She's like, well, maybe I shouldn't be making the decisions since I've only been back for like a year. So, I mean, I think that's an interesting dynamic. I like her in X-Men Red because she's so confident, but I like that they also show her kind of losing some of that confidence because X-Men is such a large world and it's bigger than just X-Men Red. But yeah, it's a delicate balance. And I think I love Tom Taylor's 
Jean, but it's definitely, it's a strange concept to see her in Uncanny. That's a good point, though. I guess, like, another example for what I was saying that kind of bugged me was, I think it was in X-Men Gold when she was talking to Rachel. For those who don't know, Rachel kind of being her, it's like her daughter from another universe, if you want to Even say it's so. Really not, it's like Madeline Pryor's daughter, but whatever, we just ignore that. It's her clone's daughter. Wait, is that true? Yes. I mean, well, how would you like if I was like, this is my dad? I'm oh, just kidding. That's not really my dad. His clone is. It's wait, like, wait, wait. Wait, no, I... Wait, I thought that Cable was... Madeline's son, but Rachel was actually like Jean's daughter because in the like, A1- oh, you might be right. From a yeah. just from a different universe, like that's not actually. I think like in the eight one one timeline where Rachel is from, that Jean lived a little longer than in the six one six timeline. So that's why she was able to to like actually have a child with Cyclops. Yeah, and then they both died. And you guys remember when they were in Asgard in the eighties, and Madeline was pregnant, and Rachel was like, "Oh no, they're having a boy. I don't. I'm not even born in this universe." And I was like, "Well, of course not. Like your mom's already dead." <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I don't know much about time travel, but isn't there like a grandfather paradox? Can we talk about Rachel in X Men Red? In yes. that, like, one issue? Yes. Because I was not expecting that. Talk about yeah, that's, that's what I was going to bring up. So I guess that both the X-Men Red, especially the X-Men Red annual, did some great work at kind of, like, reconciling some of the, some of the weirder aspects about the relationship between Rachel and Jean and having some actual, like, growth between these two people. So it kind of bugged me to see in other books, such as X-Men Gold, I think it was, where Jean... And this issue came out, like, it must have been, like, a week after that as well. Rachel refers to Jean as, like, like something like her mother... And Jean's response is just like a very cold, Rachel, I'm not your mother, or something like that. And I feel like it's a bit contradictory to what we saw in X-Men Red in the annual, which I guess I actually thought did did a good job at kind of like building a very interesting dynamic and very authentic like interaction between the two. I also noticed that when that happened and I was so mad. And I think it was honestly just a discrepancy between writers because i feel like some writers just understand her relationship with rachel to be very close and loving and others realize that it's i mean they just imagine sort of early gene back when she was like oh my god i can't believe rachel is like thinks i'm her mom like i'm not her mom like it's very it's a strange dynamic for them honestly i feel like we need a whole series to cover like their interactions because we just don't get that much of it we only get a little bit in x-men red i guess the problem is that they generally don't seem to like both of them being around which is why they kind of rode Rachel out of the way again in the, I think it was Extermination Issue 5. Yeah, well, I mean, Chris Claremont said that the only reason Rachel was there was to kind of take the place of Jean when she was gone. So that Rachel's doesn't make sense. gone again? What? Rachel's oh, she's, gone. Yeah, she's kind of gone. I think she disappeared into the time stream with um, Ahab, and now she's a hound again. She did, yeah, in Extermination I'm so excited. I've been waiting for her to leave for a really long time. No, it, it was honestly really funny, too, because Jean was like, yeah, I'll get you. And then she's like, ah, I got other stuff to do. Like, I just feel like Rachel has more potential than being like a Jean replacement and then just like kind of just like being cast aside by... She does, but Donald Trump has like, you know, he has the potential not to be a piece of shit, but that's not going to happen. And I feel the same <laughs> uh, way about show about that comparison. I, I feel like unless Rachel's a lesbian, I'm just bored. Yes. 
if they keep Whoa, on if they keep on Sorry. pairing her with Nightcrawler, I'm done. I am done with comics and I am leaving. Nice. I am so tired of that relationship. It is so weird. Okay, but that brings up this point that I really want to talk about that I think is really funny that I already mentioned to my tape. But I think it's so funny that Kurt was like, hey, I want to come along with you with Rachel. And Jean's like, hey, I know about you and her. And no. And yeah. And he was like, what? And she was like, yeah, I know everything. But you didn't tell me. But also, I know exactly what you're talking about. And I just think that's so funny because I relate to Jean so hard in that moment when she's like, I already know this and you should have told me, but you didn't tell me. So now I'm bringing it up and making you feel awkward about it. I love it when Jean's like, I don't read people's minds. And then she clearly does. We all know who she got that from. I mean, she got that from Professor Xavier, who literally was the biggest bullshitter about that. Don't read people's minds if they don't want to, Jean, unless you really want to. I have a question about like Rachel's role in X Men Red. I just like binge reread it today, and like I know she was Cassandra Nova's puppet basically, but why was she a hound? I think she thought that like Jean's relationship with her would like get in the way, and Jean was like, "Huh, you don't really know my relationship with this pseudo daughter of mine." Yeah, because then Jean shows up and she's like, "Okay, Rachel, leave now." Rachel's like, "Okay, peace out," and then that was it. I just feel like it was kind of built like in the first two issues like Nova's like control over Rachel is like really built up and then it just kind of fizzled out and I was kind of like okay well that was unimpressive well also are you asking about Rachel's history as a hound like in her first appearance with Ahab and stuff an extermination wait Oh, no, just in general. I was going to ask Peyton uh, talk about Rachel's history as a hound and from the future and all that. Oh, yeah, do that. Well, she used to have to kill mutants. In an alternate future. Yeah, in an alternate future, she was, like, kind of, like, mind-controlled and, like, kept like a dog and, like, she had to kill mutants. And that comes up all the time. I mean, it came up in X-Men Gold for a few issues and... Part of me is just like, you know, put in the past, like, if you want to make her a better character, you know, get her past this because we've seen it too many times. I didn't really enjoy seeing it in X-Men Red because we just saw it in X-Men Gold. The only one who ever did that was Brubacher in the Rise and Fall of the Shi'ar run, who was just like, you know, I'm not touching this hound stuff. I'm giving her a boyfriend. I'm giving her this sexy mini dress. Yeah, let her be her own character. I was just like, I'm sorry. She is not. I had the same experience I had with Twilight Girl. I'm like, she's just not heterosexual. I was like, I, you can put her in a, you know, it's just not. I just don't see it. <laughs> I know no one can touch that. No. Okay. Let wait, me. Wait, who should, who should Rachel be with? Kitty. Yeah. Absolutely. No question. Yeah. Absolutely. I like already thought they like, I'm sure like in the, re- like if they had like X-Men, after dark i'm sure they like hooked up once when they were like drunk in like england or something yes they should have that that's what it should be called x-men after dark (laughs) (laughs) it would be like that issue of new mutants where they went to like out at night to the hellfire club and were like wearing sexy clothes and were like (laughs) getting lost like every issue would feel like that it's like every issue with emma frost in it (laughs) yeah marvel are you listening because you can hire us for really for free you know, we'll work for, well, I need at least like, I mean, I'll work for prison money. <laughs> and I'm sure we all, well, everyone here already is. So that's perfect. So it would be actually be a pay raise. <laughs> I heard from some of the ladies that Nightcrawler was, had it going on. Cover of issue nine, 10 out of 10. Agreed. That beard is pretty great. The beard. I don't know what it, what happened. Just the beard just really changed the game. Do you think I'm a bad person if I could never hook up with someone who is blue? Yes. <laughs> Dang, Peyton was quick to the punch. Man. Could you hook up with somebody who has a tail? 
You don't like Nightcrawler, Justin? I like when he's like around, but I, and I like like you know he's like the kind of character where I'm like, oh good, it's every couple five years, you know, we every couple five years, every five years we have like you know two or three issues where it goes into Nightcrawler's psyche and how he's changed, and I'm always really into it. And then he plays like a big role, and then he comes back, and then it's all like, oh, I'm so religious, and I like that. I like having him around. I don't like when he dies and comes back. I think he's like an important part of the team, but I, you know, and he was great in X-Men Red. I've never seen him and Jean Grey hang out prior to this moment. And, you know, but I guess they can pretend like they were friends because they were on the- I, I also thought that was weird. Everyone, yeah. I like saw people on Twitter and like various other social media outlets being like, oh, Jean and Kurt, like they're so cute. And I'm like, wait, where did this come from? Like, they're not friends. Like, <laughs> you can't make me think that they're friends. Like, this they whole sunset scene. Before, ever. They were never on the team before, ever, were they? Same team. No, I don't think so. I just kind of lumped it oh, into everyone knowing G and wanting to be friends. I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure they were on the team together during uh, Dark Phoenix Saga, right? Oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, they were. Oh, my God. They were, like, on the fucking Uncanny X-Men together. Like, the... Oh my Justin, god. Justin, that's one of your favorite comics. How could you forget? Well, no, because it's kind of confusing because he showed up in giant sized first and Gene wasn't there. Oh, so yeah. That's true. That's true. It does. And then they kind of like fused those two teams, sort of. That was a weird time. But they didn't really socialize much. Like they didn't talk much. Gene was just too preoccupied with like Cyclops. You know, maybe in X Men After Dark, they hung out and they can explore that in X Men After Dark First Class. See, I'm excited for a series that's not coming out. Like, more so excited than for series that are coming out. Um, do we have anything else silly to say? Oh, can, silly. I love Gabby so much. Her, Gabby's I, hysterical. I loved her. Oh my God. Can we ha- talk about favorite Gabby moments, please? Well, didn't Tom like invent Gabby also? So he was writing kind of one of his creations. Yeah, he was he was writing the Anya Wolverine solo book back when she first appeared, I think. Yeah, so I love that. But um, one of my favorite Gabby moments is when she's like, actually, I have two. One of them is when she's like, I haven't fully explored my feelings for that girl on the bus. So just kind of ignore those thoughts, Jean. <laughs> and then my other favorite one is when they have to like put her in Cerebro and Jean's like, Gabby, like you're dying over and over and over again. You don't have to worry about having sweaty hands. <laughs> And I just love that so much. She's just so precious. And whoever writes her next must take really good care of her because the world needs more Gabbies. I like the part where the Sentinel, or I don't know if it was a Sentinel, but basically her intestines fall out of her body and Trinary is just like, oh my God, I thought you were dead. And she's like, oh yeah, let me just like put my intestines back inside. Like it was just really funny and weird <laughs> and I loved it. I love everything about her. I'm kind of worried that both Trinary might be characters that especially Tom Taylor is interested in developing and that once I guess he doesn't get to write as much in terms of like X-Men books that they are going to be like abandoned a bit by other writers who might not be passionate about them or not have as much of a plan for those characters. I think there's so much potential, especially with Trinary, who I think, I'm not sure if you would agree, but I think she kind of got the short end of the stick in terms of character development or like three-dimensionality in this book even though I really liked her as a concept, I guess. Oh, yeah, I would definitely agree with that. However, I think that even though there wasn't a lot of opportunity to focus on her character, that Tom Taylor and the creative team did a really good job with... I could hear her. She's one of the characters. I I got her... I could feel her in the room right away. And even though... 
they didn't focus enough on her because you know they only had x amount of issues or whatever i thought she's one of the best new characters to come out since like dust or something yeah i really like trinary i actually thought it was interesting reading because I've always said like one of the powers I want to have is like similar to Jean Grey's like mind reading and stuff because I'm super nosy as a human. But reading Trinary, I was like, dang, her powers are so cool and so helpful. Like maybe I actually would want to change my powers to ones Trinary has, which hasn't happened in like, I don't know, a long time that I've been like, you know what, actually, I'm going to change the powers that I would potentially have if I was a mutant. So uh, I definitely liked her as well. Okay, Jordan, I have to come back to that. But first, I want to hear what Peyton thinks. Peyton's favorite Gabby moment. I think the ending. I think where she just like stabs Cassandra Nova through the head is like one of the best moments. And it's just so like cathartic. But I mean, like I said, like I just liked seeing Gabby like become one of the major players in the comic. Because she's kind of like that character who's just like lurking on the side. And then like to see her just like grow up and become like the reason that they win the fight is just kind of incredible. Also, after the head exploding, when they get exiled from the US and she's like chilling in Wakanda, she's like, I love political exile. And she's just like jumping out of a waterfall. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I-, I feel like she generally enjoys being a member of the X-Men. So I feel like she kind of gives that, you know, optimistic, hopeful perspective of being a superhero and like actually enjoying having powers and stuff. I love the metaphor of her. It's like when you're happy, you can't get hurt. Well, dang. Which I think is cool. The opposite of Laura, who's constantly it's like her life is like precious times 10. Great movie, by the way, if anyone's seen it. It's a depressing movie. Good movie. Yeah, no, we know. I I like only depressing things. I feel I feel right. That's why, kind of off topic, but that's why I really liked the, I haven't, I, I'm a little behind on the X-23 series, but I really enjoyed the first few issues because it kind of had a really interesting contrast between Laura and Gabby's like perspectives on their lives as superheroes and, you know, such. So and, it was a really interesting with, dynamic. And also against Wolverines too, I thought. Which mm-hmm. was yeah. Oh, yeah, rather. Um, okay, Jordan, I want to um, break down your comment from before Peyton spoke, but now I'm forgetting what it was. It's slowly leaving my, remind me. The one about trinary? I need to know about the powers. Okay. Let me give you some examples where you might be and you tell me how you could use this power to survive. Okay. Okay. Antarctica. Well, there are always trek, like people going on treks there. So you just hijack their equipment. Sounds like a very densely populated place. Well, you know, there are always scientific explorations going there. And that's not just me like... There's like one. Okay. People are always trying to go there. She could easily like hijack a sentinel and have it come rescue her. Yeah. I mean, they didn't say how far away her power is like, go. That's true. Okay, Peyton, no helping. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. This okay. is great. This is great. I need a team. I'm like Gene and need a team to back me up. Also, like, okay, your Sentinel's coming. It could be thousands of miles away. It will be thousands of miles away. You know, I'm Cassandra. I'm Magneto. I can stop the Sentinel. Yeah, but why would Magneto just, like, stop the Sentinel when he doesn't even know where it's going? Jordan, do you know what they did to people who ask a lot of questions where I'm from in Sicily? <laughs> okay, you asked how I would survive with these powers, so um, I'm, I'm also coming not, up with answers. I'm also not from Sicily. My grandfather is. My great-grandfather, I think. <laughs> You've been shrunk down to nanite size accidentally by Hank Pym's size ray. You've been consumed by karma while she's possessed by the Shadow King, and her body fat <laughs> is like out of is like 77 i don't know who karma is oh she doesn't like the x-men a part of me just 
side, Jordan. <laughs> Guys, come on. You got to educate me on these things. Okay. Do a Captain America podcast. Yeah, let's just say an overweight person like me. Like, okay, what if, hey, forget it. This isn't fun anymore. This is getting very specific. <laughs> Bye, Jordan. You can have that power. You've earned it now. Thank you. I am glad that I got your permission to have that power. And can I say my favorite Gabby moment was when she said that whole thing. I'm just remembering because I'm, I'm an elephant. My favorite Gabby moment was when Jean's like, you couldn't possibly understand. And she's like, are you sure? Because I was a hive mind that killed itself on some island thingy. And I've definitely been to a place and I thought that was really adorable. And when I first saw the team of X-Men Red, what did you guys think of the team? Because when I was first heard about it, I was like, who is on this team? Okay, Namor did like the least though, I feel. Yeah, why was he a part of the team? What the heck? No, I liked that he was on the team because I liked that they got him out of the way. Like they used him and now I don't need to see him for a long time. Yeah, but then why was he... I just feel like when they announced that he was going to be on the team, I thought he was going to be a much bigger player than he actually was. Well, I mean, and I'm already contradicting myself because I just was like, why is he there? But where he especially came into play was, well, A, Suri Rowe was down there, kind of. Suri Bo, Suri Bro, however you say that. Bro, it's a bro. Okay. So that one was, like, down there, and Namor did, like, give them that place to stay when they needed somewhere else when they couldn't be So he was, like, a host. But, yeah, well, Angie needed, like, the backing of countries when she talked to the UN or whatever i think the un whatever it was she yeah. couldn't just have one like two of them need to stand up and be like all right we trust her even though namor isn't he technically a mutant or is he not he's, he's like mutant mutant. and atlantean yeah so I, I guess he's just thrown his two cents in but i mean you know that helped gene out and gave her some credibility even though right after that she lost all credibility but in the moment it was good I guess for me, like, Neymar was about as important for the book as Chala was, I guess. Yeah, that's kind of how I perceived it. So when they, like, in the lineup, he was in the lineup, and I'm like, okay. And then, you know. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, he did get his own outfit, and he was, like, technically in the lineup, but I'm not sure it it counts as much. Well, also, this run wasn't only supposed to be 11 issues when it started out. So maybe it got canceled by Marvel. It wasn't, like, set out to only be 11 issues. Oh, I didn't Um, know that. I feel like I knew that. Okay, you definitely told me that last week. <laughs> yeah, that was like a big thing when they were kind of getting rid of all of that stuff in preparation for. Like, like, yeah, they were like, "All right, we're done with X school next blue." Like those ones officially were done. Then they were like, "Surprise, we're also canceling X red." Sorry. And then like X Men Blue and X Men Gold were like forty seven issues of pure garbage of like literally like nothing happens. I like yep. the beginning of X Men Gold. Better. Yeah, I mean, I like the beginning of both of them, honestly. Um, Me too. They just kind of lost their footing. X Men Blue, I only read through my Tay's reviews. That's when I stopped reading. <laughs> That's, That's how I read all X Men stuff. Okay, wait. So, my last silly question before we really get into it, because I do, I know Marius is getting tired and I do want to ask him specifically about one thing he picked up on. Even though Jean Grey was as noble as she's ever been, I still find moments of utter self absorption. And I was wondering if anyone else saw any in X Men Red that made you laugh. Because even when she's at her most heroic, do not think that Jean Grey won't make things about herself when they don't need to be. That's just her personality. I mean, that's who she is. Like, I mean, I I already mentioned it once, but like the whole idea that like, oh, this is my mission. Like, I have to do this by myself. Like, I don't need anyone else to help me. It's like, that's kind of stupid. Like, no, you actually do need people to help you. But I mean, I think she just thought it like this whole series was like her battle with Cassandra. And like, it's kind of silly. 
I thought of that as well, but I specifically thought of, oh man, I don't know what issue it is, five or six maybe, when Cassandra Nova starts to attack Atlantis, when Storm and Gentle, I think, are with her, and they're like, Jean, what's wrong? And she's like, no time! And then she's like, everyone to me! And I'm like, Jean, like, it's not that hard to be like, hey, Cassandra's coming, watch out, like, we gotta go protect Atlantis, like, it, that's like two seconds of dialogue versus, like, her just being like, don't worry about it, I'm in charge! Let's all go together. She loves the drama. That was my most dramatic Jean. I had to I had to get it in there. <laughs> Jean loves some drama. Like that's who she is. Oh hell yeah. Loves creating drama and then pretending like it doesn't exist. And like pointing her fingers at other people. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, yes. She'll be like, remember that time Lorna was a slut and had sex with that <laughs> impersonator for a wedding? Meanwhile, she was the black queen doing all kinds of shit with that Jason Wingard fella. Oh my god. <laughs> Such a good time in comics. Things that Cyclops was never allowed to do. Next <laughs> I mean, that's what happens when you say no to a man that many times. He starts sleeping with Emma Frost. X Men After Dark, y'all. X Men oh, After Dark. Yeah. I miss some like quality Storm and Jean moments in X Men Red. I wish we had a few more of those. I mean, we had like a couple of them where they were like off by themselves and talking about stuff. But I mean, they are best friends, and I don't feel like we got quite enough their interaction. I absolutely agree. I think that points to like a, a problem with the book in general, which is that, and I guess like the annual issue fixed that a bit for me. But in general, I would have liked more character interactions about. So this is finally Jean returning. How does it feel for her and others, I guess, for her to be back? But I guess instead it immediately like launches into the big mission statement of what the book is going to be about. And not that I didn't love that because I thought issue one was phenomenal. But I guess I just would have liked a bit more time for her to like lay low and just like, I guess, have some interactions with all the people that she means a lot to and that mean a lot to her and like her being back from the dead, even though it's, it's definitely not the first time that this has happened. It's still a big deal after like everything that hey, they have been going through in the meantime. I mean, okay, it's a big deal, you guys, but Cassandra Nova is blowing up people's heads. Don't you think it'd be crazy if all of a sudden in like issue eight, she's like, you know what, you guys, I heard there's a lot to binge watch on this new thing called Netflix. Let me know how it goes. I'll see if Betsy's around for another telepath. Oh, she's not even a telepath anymore. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm gotta go by. Okay, but that's not what I was getting from them. And also, I'm creating conflict because I was very satiated by my Storm and Jean moments. <laughs> well, I mean, in the sense of them being best friends, like, I didn't know that except for the fact that Peyton said it in one of her reviews. Like, they're supposed to be best friends. So that aspect, I agree with Peyton and Marius. I don't think that is blatant in this story. If they are supposed to be as much of best friends as you would expect them to be. Also, Jean's been dead for like how many years and Storm still doesn't want to have like a little reconciliation with her. So maybe they should have put that in like the first issue versus like just kind of randomly throwing it in there later. Or like the annual would have been a good place to. Glad to. You guys are such haters of this masterpiece called X-Men Red. I'm not a hater. I'm just pointing out the flaws. That's my job. Sorry, I couldn't hear you with all the hate going on in the background. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you um, know, every... Justin always tells me every time I'm on a podcast, I bring the negativity. So I'm just doing what I apparently do all the time. Yeah, you're like a tell of the hun on these things. <laughs>
Um, no, I'm just kidding, of course. Well, it's also really important to get other perspectives. And I'm also, I'm not going to lie. I do love, when I like love something, I fucking really love it. And, uh, you know, I, we all know from how I feel about my fish. Ding. Made it. Drinking. <laughs> take a shot. I mentioned my fish or being Puerto Rican. Um, okay. Or Game of Thrones. I, yeah, or Game of Thrones. <laughs> Jordan, we're always going to mention Game of Thrones. A big deal <laughs> in everyone's life. Okay? okay, not in my life, so... You know, what, you know, you need to read the news because even my dad knows who Jon Snow is. I know who Jon Snow is. It just doesn't impact my life like it impacts yours. You don't watch Game of Thrones? No. Oh, I've only seen the dragon scene. God, you are officially canceled. <laughs> and that's like only seeing the dragon scenes. That's like, oh, I only dated George Clooney for six months. At least you dated him. So at least I've seen them. Okay, okay, back to X-Men Red. Yeah, back to X-Men Red. Yeah, right. And for the record, I, I, um, we only dated for three months. Um, okay, I think, Jordan, you and I are the only ones who experienced X-Men Red as a whole at first. You guys all read it as individual issues first, and then read it. some of you read it again last night before the podcast. Marius specifically took things away that I very much saw. And I wonder if they were amplified by the fact that he had time to digest in between each issues. And like when I saw Storm there, I was like, okay, cool. Storm's at the end of the issue. I just had to turn the next page and she's, it's, they're dealing with that, right? If I had to wait two weeks or three weeks or a month or whatever uh, to see what was going to happen with that, like, I don't know how I would feel with that. And I'll let Marius bring up the issues that he had. I had those same issues, but again, I was able to turn to the next issue and I felt like my pangs were answered, but I'll let Marius talk about the issue that you had, which I think is really valid. And, and I think is worth discussing in any discussion that's about politics today. I guess like one of the major issues that I had with it reading just the individual issues, which happens to me with a lot of books, to be fair, but it was especially true here is that I think the first two issues and then the last two issues were incredibly captivating. But just in terms of like the pacing, I think the book suffered a bit in the middle and just having one issue per month and giving like each issue so much room to breathe, I guess, for me as a reader. I think it helped make some of the issues feel a bit underwhelming. But I guess the other thing that you were getting at is some of the issues that I had with some of the political metaphors. Is that right, Justin? Yeah, well, I'm getting at, I think, the overlap between the two. Because while you were saying that, I was thinking about The Walking Dead a lot. I don't know if anyone reads that comic from Image, but it's an Eisner award-winning comic, in which I, I, I think X-Men read is at that quality. Uh, at the Eisner award-winning level by far. But it also has a lot of filler issues that people find it that way, but there's not a lot of action, but they're really necessary to the story. However, I wonder if that changed the way you viewed some of the political moments, like you were talking, like you were going to mention. I guess thinking about it now, some of the issues in the, I guess, in the middle of the book, they did involve a lot of expository dialogue, which is, for instance, like also one of the issues that I had with the character of Trinary, that I think she was given a lot of exposition dialogue that I didn't always think was 100% organic for the characters. 
and in terms of dialogue. And then I guess like these concepts would be introduced in the middle of the issue. And I guess I see where the author was going with that or where the creative team was going with that. And it did pay off eventually. I guess it made some of the issues feel a bit underwhelming. Like, I guess going into it a bit more specifically, thinking about the subplot about people being mind controlled, people being manipulated into hating mutants. And this, of course, being like a, a very big analogy to fake news and political climate and social media nowadays. I think the book definitely benefited from that metaphor. But at the same time, I guess like in the in the middle part of the entire run, the metaphor did come off a bit, I wouldn't even say problematic because that word is a bit like overused, but just like some implications that rubbed me the wrong way. And it did contribute leaving the issue hanging for like an entire month, I guess, amplified that a bit. Do you want to talk about the specific issue? I mean, the specific issue that you had in the issue? Oh yeah, absolutely. So I think it was issue five where they meet Gambit at the hospital. Um, it might've been issue four after the, like the incident that I think it was Maite who has read this as, as kind of like an analogy to the Charlesville incident. Is that you who brought up the point? Maite right about somebody else oh sorry no, that, that was you Maite who brought up the connection between the Charlottesville oh and... yeah okay I heard something yeah I, I didn't hear oh, sorry, the sorry, yeah. part I was like what no you're good you're good Oh yeah, I just that all sense. All right, yeah. So Maite, it was you who brought up that I guess the incident with with one of the like the tiki torches rally and one of the the murders of this young mutant girl was like a very clear parallel to what happened in Charlottesville like almost one and a half years ago to have a highest. And I think that if we take this as the analogy that people have been their minds have been tampered with and they've been manipulated into you know hating what is different hating mutants i guess hating social justice activists or hating people of color hating peer, uh, queer people etc etc then it takes away from the perpetrator's agency in this case it would be james alex fields i think is his name who's i think he's been sentenced i'm not sure about the exact sentence but i think i think it was murder for obviously like killing have a highest in the car crash i I think it kind of takes away from his agency to have a lot of the expository dialogue be about how it's not it's not the perpetrator's fault because their minds have been tampered with and in the end it's a fault of just like a very little group of people who have been manipulating a lot of people into into hating what's different and that i guess like hate crimes resulting from that ideology is not something that we can attribute directly to them which i guess that did rub me the wrong way in a way because it is an argument that you can make that how much agency do people really have and like i do study philosophy so, so that's something that comes up a lot in discussions of like moral questions but at the same time i'm not sure if that's like the right message to lead with in terms of like public discourse about incidents such as the charlottesville rally yeah i mean i agree with that even reading it as a whole after hearing you talk about it and especially because also jordan um, can we mention that you are you lived in charlottesville for four years yeah, I was going to say that. I went to school at the University of Virginia, so I wasn't actually in Charlottesville when that happened, but I definitely saw the repercussions of what happened with it within the school community, within the actual community, the city community that's there. So I didn't 
I didn't have take fault with it as much as Marius did because it still felt separate to me. Like he didn't, I'm sure it was purposely, like they didn't purposely place them in Charlottesville or, or with anything that would kind of remind people who were there of what happened. There was no like semblance of anything in Charlottesville. So I also think it was separated more for me, even though that was like a bit more personal for me, I guess, having that happen and have that brought up again in comics. But I definitely can see what Marius is saying. And um, yeah, like, I think that's a valid point, too. I just think for me, there was still enough separation. And I don't know if that's because it was more closely tied to like my actual life versus like a comics life. Just reading comics, it was tied to things that were very real to me in my life and things that I was around every single day and saw what happened afterwards. So yeah, so I don't know if I just had that personal separation or if I think Marius's point is very valid and um, is something that definitely can be seen within that. Does anyone else have a commentary about too much agency was taken away from the people who were committing bad acts? Well, I guess, sorry, I wanted to come back because I thought I had something else to say and forgot about it. I do think that the one thing that kind of runs through it is that I don't think all of these people have just been indoctrinated into it because I like kind of a big thing was that it's not, they're not bad people. It's just stuff they've been brainwashed with and stuff that they've just been told their whole lives. But I don't think that that's always the case. I think like, yes, it can be passed on like that. But I also think, I mean, I'm different than my parents and my parents' parents and stuff like that. And so not everything my parents believe has translated down to me. So I don't always think it's trickle down or it's direct line of succession. I think it comes from what they've been around or what they've chosen to be around. So I also think saying like, oh, it's just brainwashing doesn't always encompass everything that happens in real life i guess i agree with that a lot because i guess like one of the most moving things and we can talk about a bit about the final issue here one of the most moving things about the book is the notion that instead of going to war with people and just like bringing people down who you think are dangerous for public discourse or politics or whatever instead of doing that you want to abolish us versus them narratives completely and just try and respond with empathy which is of course, like one of the, the big twists in the final issue when we realize that they are not trying Cassandra, but they are trying to get her to be less hateful. And I think it's a beautiful in principle. And I think it's a very moving vision. But pragmatically, I think the idea that no person is like truly evil or no person that is like beyond convincing that hate is foolish, it can be dangerous because, you know, like incidents like the, the Charlottesville incident they definitely happen in my country. There's a big problem with racial murders that it would be like a whole other can of worms to get into that. But I think it's potentially dangerous for marginalized groups in a way, I think, to have this assumption that like no one is like actually truly against anyone structurally in terms of like underlying biases that couldn't be worked against and they can be worked against, I guess. It's just like it can be kind of a naive notion, I think even though it sounds really good and is potentially very inspiring. I'll say that I very, once you mentioned it, I knew exactly what you were talking about because I felt the same way. Even in my question, I did wonder how much of your feeling of this was exacerbated by the time in between the issues since you had to like kind of sit with that issue. I remember feeling the same way and asking that question. I was like, does this take away the agency from the individual people? Because it's saying it's like, you know, that it's not really them that has this hate. It's this thing that's causing it. But I felt like 
like it was addressed in a later issue where I believe there was a character and I don't remember who it was saying that this hate was already in them, but that it was, you know, what was happening on social media that was exacerbating that hate. And I thought that that was an apt metaphor. And Jordan, while we were having a discussion about this before and you said something, although it doesn't, you're, I'm going to respond. If it's cool with you, I'm going to steal what your response was to this conversation previously, although I'm not sure how well it fits in uh, right now, but that it is, this is a comic book. So there has to be some like extraordinary, fantastical things going on. However, we never want that to happen at the expense of the message. So for me, that didn't happen, but I, I, I don't know. I guess I really feel like for, for you and Peyton and Maite, if that happened, the time in between the issues had a lot to do with it. I guess just to be clear, I, I thought it made perfect sense within the rules of the universe, within the rules that the universe was setting as kind of like a moral conundrum that they got themselves into. And I think I would have had less of an issue with that if I hadn't felt that the metaphor was pretty blatant. And then like scenes, for instance, in the, I think it was issue four or five where they visit the person who shot the mutant girl in the hospital and they, they spent like pages over pages, like trying to convince him that this is not his fault and that he doesn't have that agency, I guess, or didn't have that agency by that time. I think it just struck the wrong chord for me that they would be catering to his feelings specifically and spending like so much time and effort on that. But again, like not to beat a dead horse, I get where this is going and it didn't make it impossible or anything for me to enjoy the book or to enjoy the core message of the book. And I still think it's a very outstanding piece of art. Me too. And I also think that the fact that it even raises the question, how much agency do people have in real life when it comes to their hate and how much of it is exacerbated by social media, that, that shows what a good piece of art this is. Speaking of art, I love Mahmoud Ashrar's art in this. I know a lot of people thought differently, but I thought it was very Art Nouveau. I was very into the thick lines that the, I forgot who inked it. And it could have been him who inked it actually, but whoever inked it, and I'll make sure to add it in later, did a phenomenal job. I think someone's going to look it up. I wish I was like Joe Rogan and could afford to have someone in the other room just ready to Google things for me. But I'm usually that person. Just kidding. I don't even have the intelligence or the wherewithal to even get that job. I'd probably get fired after like five minutes i'm actually just trying to spend time while i assume someone's looking it up is that not happening i was just looking up here to the variant covers i think it was jenny frison frison oh my god jenny frison jenny yeah. frison yeah i loved her variants uh, she had them for i think issue eight issue nine issue seven they were just fantastic she's done she's so stuff for wonder woman too like they're just gorgeous he probably he inked it himself i think i love that so Peyton, you're an artist i mean what did you think of the of mamad asra's art and then the art i forget the other artist's name which is terrible but we'll find it later and we'll talk about it well jordan knows he's not my favorite personally speaking some scenes i thought were really well done i didn't feel like his faces gave the characters a lot of individuality which can bother me sometimes in comic book art i feel like each character should have a face that you can kind of like decipher who it is without having to rely on uniforms and like hair color to decide and some of the like posturing was kind of awkward but yeah i mean i, I think it was a nice unique style for a unique series so it can work wait wasn't your problem with the color of jean gray's hair the flat yes 
Absolutely. This entire series, that is like my least favorite part of this. Her hair is not orange. I'm just going to throw it out there. I've seen many people arguing about this online, and I feel like most people agree with me. Since the like day one, she's a redhead, very like vibrant redhead. And in like the first issue, it's like a pale orange. I was really disappointed. Not happy. That's not his fault. That is the colorist fault. And I can't pronounce the colorist name. And whoever you are, whose name we can't pronounce, I really, I didn't mind. the. Label. Isn't it Rochelle Rosenberg? No, that's uncanny. She's actually doing a good oh. job. Shout yeah, out. I love Rochelle. Rochelle, your flats for Jean Grey's hair is the perfect shade of red looks good we need to call your art school and thank them i know it shouldn't like bother most people but like gene's appearance is like it's important to me no i look i understand i mean all i think for game of thrones take that shot but when i watched season one of game of thrones cersei's wig was driving me crazy i was like they can't um like all this money they couldn't throw in an extra thousand dollars for one that hides the hairline i was like i don't understand it's hbo they just spent like 12 days shooting like one quick cutaway and they couldn't get a wig that fits i was like i don't understand it's too big it looks ridiculous and i just thought yeah it's just distracting yeah and she's such an amazing no how do we feel about jean's costume or uniform love i loved it i love the headpiece it's reminiscent of her like old 90s costume, which I think is what a lot of people think of when they think of Jean. So I thought that was nice. Could you also talk about the other artist too, Peyton? Yes. So the other artist, Carmen something. Let me, let me look it up real quick. The second artist, I thought she did a fabulous job. Yeah, Carmen Carnero. Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, I thought she did a really good job. She gave Jean, I thought, more of like an individual look, which I really appreciate in comic book artists yeah but the hair's still off hair's off this whole series single tier x-men red you get five stars for story and you get one star for hair color <laughs> i mean everyone else's hair is like spot on it's not that hard but well and then rogue antonio i think or rouge i don't know how to say it didn't they do like the last set of x-red like nine ten and eleven maybe or is it just nine no, I know you're talking about. I am looking it up as we speak. Is it X-Men Red or is it X-Men Light Orange? I was confused. <laughs> that would be a great renaming. I think as the trade, it should be X-Men Light Orange or maybe Pale, Sad, Drab Orange. I think that they should hire us to come up with all new names for their series. Well, I think not that. I'm still thinking about Jean's hair and not even commenting on that. Anyway, I think the cover for issue 10 has a really nice, like, darker reddish color to it. Although I will also say that issue 10 has my favorite panel of the entire series, entire run. And it's, like, in the first page or first two pages of Cassandra as Jean, but it's just a whole page of Jean's face. I love that page. I don't even care about the red hair. So sorry, Peyton. But I love that page. I love how it's drawn. I think it looks amazing. The hair is kind of in shadow in that page. That's so you know, it's it doesn't aggravate me as much. But I love it where she's like, fuck you, humanity. Like <laughs> Yep. That's so good. I love it. Such a good panel. I remember when before the issue came out and I think Tom Taylor tweeted it and he's like, Why is Jean saying this? And I was like, Oh my god, what's gonna happen? Really exciting. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Can I come out in defense of the colorist as well? <laughs> because I think that they did so much great work, especially in the first issue. And like, I guess like one of the pages that one of the panel that panels that comes to mind is the like the sunset scene with with Nightcrawler. And I just love this panel because you can see them from the back, and they they're kind of dark, and they are looking at this this sort of light blue valley with this i guess like obviously the sunset in the back having very light orange like very light red it's very like hopeful but melancholic and then the next few pages they like dive into like these these blue pages that take place in atlantis and then i guess like another use of the color red in the same issue that i really appreciated was in the final panel on the final page where we can see like this very like blood red like splattered across jeans's face obviously because she has she has actual blood on her face and the rest of the panel being like in a very like cold bluish grayish color which is i guess a very great juxtaposition and then works pretty well with the dialogue that they gave cassandra nova and or more like the the monologue they gave her saying that she can make others see red i think it's a it's a great visual like introduction to one of the central themes of the book being about the hate that is instilled into people and it's just stuff like that it's so much like so many details to fall in love with right off the bat in the first issue visually you just made me think of something all because of you the metaphor of red not only the hair not only danger but also red is the color of anger and isn't that what's happening on social media probably everyone's like duh i realized this the first panel on the first page but it just came to me look these things come to me when they come to me i can't explain it okay one thing i want to say about the art before we move on from art is that i thought it was interesting where Mohammed aswar put people's eyes and stuff like there was something specifically to the faces Peyton. i don't know why i'm addressing you because i think if you was like the the consummate artist specifically to the faces there was something almost like romanesque or gothic stained glass kind of in what i saw in their faces and i was thinking about scott mcleod and for those of you who don't know it's like such a good book on comic book theory please read it scott mcleod's understanding comics you can find a link below it will well seriously it's a really amazing book that will uh totally help you but so for that reason i guess i, I enjoyed his faces and i enjoyed being able to kind of identify with the character and live through their perspective more and i wonder what role having less detail and less information in the faces did that versus the second half of the book i felt like it was much more of a a, the art felt much more superhero to me which i loved but i I did feel like having mom and ashra start off the book helped me to see things from the character's perspective and really help myself align with them later i don't know what you guys thought about that journey uh from one artist to the other and if it served the book. I mean, I know Peyton probably has thoughts, but I want to jump in real quick because I probably have less to say about it. But I'll be honest, I like it better when I'm not projecting as much onto the characters because I don't think that I need to in this story particularly. I don't think that's true for all comics. I think that's mostly true for superhero comics, even ones with underlying tones like this one. Purely because I think that they're already conveying everything that needs to be conveyed and i don't think these characters should be projecting my feelings like i think they should be projecting their own feelings and i think that kind of goes back to the whole like can you picture them in the room with you type idea because i want to be able to picture them how they would be not how i would want them to be feeling or would want them to be experiencing something so for me i preferred the second half of the book of the run the art in the second half of the run i think i would prefer that more just in general but especially in relation to that aspect 
Yeah, I mean, having, like, as an artist, the job to have to show a character's emotions through facial expressions, because you're not the one writing, is really difficult. I mean, I feel like sometimes it is better just to have, like, more simplistic faces, so you do have that, as a viewer, as a reader, the ability to just kind of put whatever kind of emotions or thoughts you're feeling onto the character. But I mean, as a story, as like storytelling, I think the second part is very successful and that we do get to kind of see what these characters are feeling just through their facial expressions and not having to rely so much on dialogue. But yeah, I mean, the first half, it's not that I didn't enjoy it. Like, I thought the art was quality. And I understand where you're coming from, Justin, that you kind of got to put like your own thoughts and feelings into these characters' expressions. I don't know. I don't know whether like this series needed it or not because Jean is such like a hard character. Like so many people didn't know who she was, you know, and people, if you've never, if you came into like the comic game in like 2005 and have read since then, like you don't know anything about Jean. So I feel like the art can say a lot for her and to have this character that is kind of just like, looks like every other character and she doesn't really have a firm place. It's hard to like get a, a strong read on her as a character. That's kind of where I was coming. But as someone who knows Jean, who kind of already knows what she's thinking, it's not, as important. That's really interesting to think of it that way. Because I saw it more as, okay, it's a first issue. A lot of people do know Jean. For the people who don't know Jean, they have the opportunity to project more of themselves onto Jean and kind of align with her character. But it's all perspective, right? It's all just how you kind of see it. And it depends on the individual person, I'd imagine. Well, I think that's interesting too, because I know Jean kind of, but even still as someone who doesn't seek her out as much as other people do. I would prefer being able to kind of see more who she is as a character versus who I think she is. Although we should say that it's still a representation, right? It's still, I mean, Jean Grey still does not exist and she still does not look any particular way. It's just that it's more that you, which can we adjust that to say it's more that you prefer the artist to add more information more visual. Yes. Yes. Yeah, no, Jean, Jean is not a real person. She can look any way that she chooses. And I feel like we all have like an era of a character yeah, that we, we choose it. The artist has to. Yeah, I mean, I feel I, I feel like we all have like an era of like the character that we like think is the real character. Like for me, it's like Dark Phoenix Saga. Jean is like Jean to a T. So anytime an artist like starts to get closer to that Jean is when I start to like see my version of Jean that I prefer. But I mean, everyone has their own era of the character that they like and like what they like to see. So I also need John Byrne Jean in my life always. She's the best. Yeah. Maite, what did you think? You didn't say much about the art. I agree with Jordan a lot. I mean, oh, the art. Can you move the mic a little closer? Oh, sorry. No, I agree yeah. with Jordan and Peyton. Personally, I the art didn't really resonate with me as much as I may have expected it to. But again, we were talking about projecting our selves onto the characters i don't necessarily know if that was something that was necessarily needed in this series because we we've kept talking about how this was a really big transitional period for gene and it was very much obviously it was like her own x-men team story but it was very much her story as well so with that i do need a lot of her individuality in the art that i get and i don't know if i necessarily got that you know i I really admired the covers and there were like various panels that were pretty mind-blowing 
something. Um, I mean, I think in issue two, when they say the little girl and Jean is standing in front of the girl blocking the array of bullets, like that was pretty powerful. So there were moments. That was issue one, I think. Issue one, yeah. I mean, yeah, it it was issue one because that was like the first scene. But moments like that I found pretty impactful, but I don't necessarily know if we needed to project ourselves onto Jean. I don't necessarily think that was something that the series needed simply because we needed to learn more about Jean after this hiatus period and you know as Peyton said there's plenty of people who may not be familiar familiar with her who may not go back and read the comics that she used to be in and besides you know like aside from Teen Gene like I'm not considering Teen Gene this scenario at all but you know so we kind of do need someone to really dive us in there and I don't really know if I got that well, okay, let me ask everyone, if you can, I guess, in a sentence, say what your familiarity was with the character before and how X-Men Red changed your perception of her, if it did. Well, I love Jean. She's my favorite character. I've loved her for a long time. I think X-Men Red made me see her more as a leader. I mean, she's been a leader in, in previous X-Men series, but not like she's an X-Men Red. I mean, X-Men Red, she has a really like strong determination, like you said. And I think it showed that she has the power to be a leader, which I, I don't know from past series if I would have like believed that. Like I feel like in past series, she's kind of been portrayed as like the sort of like somewhat unstable scar which sort of character and in this one she's like no i can handle this i can do this and she can yeah i mean i've read a lot about gene i love gene as well and i totally agree with peyton it was really awesome to see her take on this leadership role and have a greater sense of agency over herself and i like her disassociation from the phoenix i like how there was no phoenix at all it was just gene leading her own team and just kind of re-identifying herself in this modern age and so i liked this sort of new interpretation even though it, it wasn't necessarily like new or vastly different from I mean well maybe it was different from what we've seen before but I did feel like it was an authentic portrayal of Jean and really genuine and I really really enjoyed that I agree a lot I guess I was a big fan of the character before but many of the and I talk about this all the time how I think that in terms of X-Men fans I have sort of like a different perspective because the comic books I read were predominantly from 2008 to 2015 and I guess that kind of gave me another perspective just like go into some of the X-Men classics that involved Jean Grey later on. So I, I was familiar with the character and I was a big fan of the character before, but I guess reading X-Men Red convinced me more that there is so much more to tell in terms of stories with Jean aside from just things that involve the Phoenix Force and that she can be a very like powerful representative of this this hope that we talked about. Jean was not, I was not a fan of Jean, basically, before this at all. I read a lot of her big stuff, mainly because everyone at Comics Race loves Jean. So I've had to read that to you to stay hip with everyone else. That being said, so I've seen her as the Phoenix. I've seen a little bit of her as a, in the Dark Phoenix saga. I didn't read a whole bunch of that, but I read some of it. And I've seen her die as the Phoenix in the Grant Morrison stuff. So, you know, I've seen Jean die a lot. And haven't seen her as much of a team leader as she was here. And Peyton said it, I think, the best seeing her as a leader. But what I thought was interesting, especially with Jean in this portrayal, is that her leadership 
is more inclusive. And I know we talked about that at the beginning and how it's super annoying for the most part, how she was trying to say, this is all me. This is a really big thing, like, but it's just my fight. And then at the end, it does change to being Gabby, who is the one who ends up doing it. So I think it's interesting to see that her leadership style is similar to Xavier's in the fact that she wants to kind of take it all on herself. But then she adjusts it at the end to saying, well, this is a new world. This is how I need to interact with everyone. And I can't defeat anyone just by myself anymore. So it is going to be me with everyone else coming together to form a team. And I haven't read Uncanny and I don't really know what's going to be happening with the Age of X-Men storyline or any of that. But I think for right now, at least with with where X-Red ends is kind of like, okay, Jean is accepting that it's... she's She might still be a leader, might still be in charge, but leading looks differently than what it used to. Oh, I like that. That's a good soundbite. X-Men Red, because leading looks different than it used to. I feel like she kind of started like trying to just emulate like Cyclops in a way, like just rolling in and be like, this is my game because that's who like she saw as like the leader. I was just thinking about how it's interesting that he's not there and how that's she's a very acting. valid point. So. What do you think about that, Mary? This is a huge Cyclops fan. I'm not too sure about that. I have to think about that more, I think. How much of her leadership style do you think was influenced by his? I guess like reading the book, I perceived it as being specifically different from his, but I'm not too sure to what extent that can be explained in the canon because a lot of how I think his leadership was characterized was when he was like, more or less like without her in the years that she was dead and i guess like going off the whole like mutant revolution subplot and i guess like him struggling to ensure mutant survival and the more like radical tactician that he became i guess is what i often associate him with i thought she was really really different and i also thought that i guess the way that it would make sense for me in my head is if she seen in the heads of uh, the remaining x-men what had happened in that time. And she still has this like love for her, for her husband, but at the same time, she wants to bring something to the table that is specifically different from his way of approaching these things as a team leader. Anyone else have a comment on Jean's leadership style? I have two more big questions. Oh, you might tell you have something to say about leadership styles? Nope, just kidding. In your own personal spectrum, in terms of what X-Men comics you really resonate with you and maybe don't resonate with you as much, where does X-Men Red stand? As far as resonating, I think it's resonated with me the most, but and, it, and it's also the one I've liked the most out of all the ones I've read. And granted, I know that list is super short and it's not, I haven't read that many and I haven't sought out that many to read, but... As far as like broad X-Men books, I would read this one again. I would buy this trade and have it in my comic collection. I might even go so far to, as to say, at least for me, I think it, it's a classic. I think it becomes something. It's almost up there with Tom King's Vision Run, just because it is so different, at least for me and reading it. And it's something I like to read a lot and something I like to look at as far as art goes. And I think it's a story worth revisiting. I don't think it's a story that's going to die just because our president might change or politics might change a little bit. I think it'll still be relevant and people will still be able to find stuff that's relevant within it i think the book's high points were so extremely good 
that the comic immediately becomes like one of the most remarkable X-Men comics in recent years. I'm not sure that it's up there with most of my favorite books in terms of like a, a consistent level of quality throughout all the issues, but it's still a classic for me. So I would agree with that. Absolutely. I really, really enjoyed X-Men Red. Like I, especially rereading it as a whole today, I enjoyed it more than reading it you know, waiting each month for the next issue. But I think my perception of how it, where it lands on my personal list of X-Men comics or just comics as a whole, I think it'll take some time because uh, this year I've been like binging a lot of X-Men works. And so right now I don't necessarily know if it's up there, but that could be because it's so fresh and so new. So I think it'll take time though. I do think it will over time. I think it will become one of my favorites simply because I, I just really enjoy the way Tom Taylor flesh out gene and i thought the ending the conclusion was something that we haven't really seen happen often you know defeating an enemy with empathy in a way that wasn't cliche i thought that was really unique and i think that's something that's going to resonate with me over time but right now it's kind of hard to say where it lands just because there are other x-men stories that have had more of an impact on me personally so i think time will tell i also really enjoyed x-men red i loved reading it issue to issue i thought it was great i loved a lot of the artwork in it but it doesn't resonate with me as much as some of Jean's other series that she's been in. I didn't finish it feeling the same way that I felt when I finished New X-Men, which is like probably my favorite work with her in it. I just didn't feel like it got as like nitty gritty with personal self as much. Like there was a lot of like her idealism, which I found really interesting, but I don't know whether they like got into her flaws as much as I would have wanted them to. Politically, I thought it was A++. It hit on some really important points that no other comics are willing to touch on. But for Jean personally, I felt like it needed to get just a little deeper into her personal drama and just her personal, like what's going on with her. Like she's coming from this like outside dimension coming into this new world and really just the annual dips into that and it doesn't touch on everything. So I feel like I was always waiting for a few more scenes touching on that, but overall I would definitely give it a good rating. I'd be curious to see how things would have developed if it could have gone on for more issues. I'm curious to see what characters might've been fleshed out and hopefully that they all would have. I think for me personally, this is definitely up there three or four favorite X-Men runs. I think the reason is because I needed Jean Grey to come back. She came back. It was what I needed from a Jean Grey story. And like, you know, when you have like a good album, I remember when Bjork, Bjork came out with Vespertine, she came out with well, Nakira, and I was like, man, she's like speaking to me. I kind of felt that way about Tom Taylor. I was because I really needed a way to push the national conversation further in my head because it just seemed like it wasn't going anywhere. And then someone was like, man, I'm looking for ideas and I have an idea and it's going to save the world and here's what I want to do. And I thought that it captured something that's really happening in the West and the kind of discussions that we're having and the kind of vitriol that's there. And I thought it had a, a good commentary on fake news and it was respectful of all political opinions i feel i mean unless you know except for maybe white supremacy okay so look, should we talk about the end really quick and then uh wrap up because i fucking love the end and i cried 
I found the conclusion with Cassandra Nova to be really powerful and unexpected. I didn't necessarily think they were going to kill her, but I definitely did not expect for them to literally overcome her with empathy. And saying it out loud may sound really cliche and weird, but reading it was just so powerful because this is like an enemy who has just done horrible, terrible things. And for Jean to just literally reach out her hand and say that she wants to help like this horrible human being, it's just a horrible mutant. It's just, it was just i think that was my favorite part of the whole series because it was so unexpected and taylor just did that in a way that worked and i'm curious to see what happens with cassandra nova in the future to see if that um event resonates or if you know she goes back to being who she has always been but that was my personal favorite part and i found that to be really really impactful it could be cool to have a female xavier for a while yeah i mean i agree with what maite said and i guess it'd be I don't know if I necessarily agree. It'd be cool to have a female Xavier. But I do think it'll be cool to have an empathetic Cassandra Nova because I don't necessarily like her as a villain. I think her storyline is just so one-dimensional and doesn't really ever go anywhere. So having this dramatic change to who she is as a character and who she is as a person, I'm hoping will give us more stories. I hope that this doesn't just, like, it, it doesn't just end with this round. I hope it gets brought in somewhere down the line even if it even if they have to redo something i'm hoping it gets brought back into comics i think i would read specifically issues about her and her interactions with whatever x-men are around just because i am curious about what kind of character has been created by this insertion of empathy is it something that is it going to be like a real empathy or is it just going to be well they like gave it to her but it doesn't fully impact her i don't know but i want to see that play out and i think after having her in grant morrison's run right it's that run yeah (laughs) having her back then and kind of seeing okay like that storyline felt kind of done to me when they were done with her so having her brought back into this run was i was wary of it even when i was finding out about this stuff reading Payne's reviews and stuff it made me wary and then kind of even reading it still through all the way and i read it before the last issue came out and then added that on at the end so kind of seeing okay well we aren't done with her but in a good way not just like oh she's this random villain who like will come back up again and have the exact same storyline again is something that I liked a lot with how they ended it. So how about the last question, which will kind of tie into the very first question of the podcast, there I am being an elephant again. Sorry, I'm going to use that because I actually think I have a terrible memory. So I'm really going to cling on to this elephant thing as long as I can, especially because I just spoke now because I forgot what I was going to say. My question is, I asked what X-Men Red was about before. I want to ask, I want to ask, what is X-Men Red telling the world? And I think it's easy to infer from everything that we've said, but I think it'd be cool for us all, each to say it as our parting moment. I think what X-Men Red is saying to the world is best summarized by Gene's final speech, which, by the way, I think that scene has the potential to become absolutely iconic for me and something that I will gladly revisit in a few years or maybe a few decades. It has the potential to be like one of my big favorite X-Men moments, I guess. And it's great payoff from what was established in the first issue that was set up in the first issue. So that Jean has this one, I guess, idea of how she would, of like her utopian vision of how the world can overcome hate 
read, which is the end of thinking in categories of us and them and thinking of categories of one group being superior and one group being inferior, which is, I guess it's a very commonly held notion that this is how a utopian society should look like, tolerance and hate. I guess it's a very commonly held notion and it's not as innovative as one would think, but the way in which the speech was delivered and the sincerity with which Jean was presenting it made it effective for me. I mean, what I think it's telling the world is that, and this might be a bit of a naive answer still, but I think coming from this story, I think it, it kind of falls in line with that, is that we don't always have to fight about everything not necessarily like people's opinions can be changed because, you know, that's not always true. But I think it's more like trying to understand the other perspective of whatever you're arguing about or fighting about or dealing with because the super old cliche is, you know, there's two sides to every coin. And I think that's true. And I think that comes through here and in a way more elegantly phrased way than just, oh, there's two sides to the same coin type idea. But I think that comes through so strongly and profoundly and especially at the end when Jean's like well everything can be fixed through empathy like I think that still falls in line with that is saying okay well I'm empathizing with you and figuring out why you're saying things like that and I don't know if I fully buy into that idea but I like the message that it's putting out and what it's trying to get across even if it's not fully feasible or won't happen as Gene would want it to happen in our world specifically, but I do like that idea and what it's putting forth as far as that goes. I think the story to me means or just kind of inspires us to maintain hope. I think Jean exemplified hope, and I know we've mentioned that many times today, how she was a symbol of hope throughout the story. And I think, as I mentioned in the beginning, it's very easy to lose faith and to become apathetic in a world that constantly challenges you and it's constantly pushing back against you. So I think the story is meant to inspire a certain faith in the world and in humanity, even when all hope seems lost. Yeah, I think it's trying to say that sitting in ignorance is not really an option. Like you do have the power to go beyond and to ask those questions and to push against what people tell you is the correct answer. And even if you are coming from a world as foreign as Gene was, that you have the power to rise up if you have a strong team. I think for me, what I got from it was that it's empathy that could heal the world if we all had it. It would be cool. I know I could use more. I think this series sits really interesting against the new Uncanny series because in Uncanny, it's kind of like X-Men is saying like, I can make all this happen. Like I can make all this possible. And it's like turning out really strange. So if you liked X-Men Red, I don't know whether you should read Uncanny. But maybe you should. It's interesting. I'm going to read it because unless I read it, I don't have Jean Grey in a comic anymore. Jean and Uncanny is, it's interesting. She's I different was, for sure. I was, I was hoping you were going to say badass. She is definitely badass. She's just adapting to life with the other X-Men, which is nice. Well, yeah. I mean, she had to make Cassandra Nova nice first. And now she's like, okay, time to let my hair down, take off these boots. I felt like she was kind of like wrapping up some strings in x-men red you know she was like yeah I, I died we we weren't really done cassandra and now i'm back and um i'm gonna put you in your place and then i'm gonna get on with my life like <laughs> and she was like well, weren't there like 10 or 12 storylines with cassandra nova here's mine done 
astonishing X-Men what? I'm Cassandra's only real enemy. I love to hate on Jean. Like, it's terrible, but I do. No, I think it's a sign of love. I love, yeah, I think it's like a sign of love. I just know her too well by now. I think that's my problem. Uh, Same. So to wrap up, we just all want to say thank you to Tom Taylor and your creative teams and everyone who helped bring X-Men Red to life and bring out this new Jean story. And so we're able to see her interact with this new world and kind of see how all of that happens. We really enjoyed it. And seeing all of the other side characters, I know we talked a lot about Jean, but we love Gabby and Trinary and Gambit and Laura and whoever else is on the team that I'm forgetting. Storm is on the team. Namor. Gambit. Gentle. (laughs) I don't remember the rest of them. Anyway, we love the whole team that you created and put together. And yeah, (laughs) I don't know how to end that. Um, We love the whole team that you put together. And we're looking forward to reading this again in the trades and checking it out and you know when the trade comes out and even after then and hopefully adding it to some of our comic book shelves of runs that we want to read a lot more in the future yes thank you tom taylor for giving me i'm not even sure if i'm kidding when i say that extra was like one of the most positive things that happened to my life in the last two years and i'm actually not kidding i really needed this so thank you marvel and tom taylor and everyone else 